Deliberate Leaders. I am your host, Allison Dunn, executive coach and founder of the Deliberate Leaders podcast, dedicated to helping leaders build strong, thriving businesses. Each episode, we feature inspiring interviews to help you on your leadership journey. Super excited to introduce our guest today. Uh, we have with us Danielle Gillespie. Um, she has worked in the startup world for the majority of her career. She has founded her own company, held various product development roles, and actively advises a number of tech companies. She has taught many concepts to life that began as an idea on the proverbial paper napkin. After working uh, in product development roles for startups in various sizes and stages, Danielle founded Cork Guru, which is a digital wine platform and a super cool digital mm -hmm. wine platform, by the way. Um, it was after she sold Cork Guru that she began working as a consultant, helping startups create products that customers really want. Danielle's guiding principle is that big ideas are secondary when it comes to the success of a new company. In her podcast, Ideas Last, Danielle interviews startup founders whose success comes from focusing on superior idea execution. Our topic today that we're diving into is the true meaning of a customer-centric business. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you. I'm really excited to uh, be talking with you today. Awesome. I love to kick these off with a deliberate conversation. And so if you would be willing to share your number one leadership tip uh, with our leader, our deliberate leader listeners today. Sure. So um I would say my number one tip is something I discovered accidentally, um, and that is to have an accountability partner. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm sure it's probably not novel information, but um, for me as a startup founder, I discovered that having somebody outside of my company and off of my team that I could be completely honest with and um, someone to help me set goals and wade through all the inputs mm -hmm. and then follow up week by week to um, see how did I do on those goals? What are my goals next week? And, you know, if I, if I had maybe not a great week, someone to just, you know, pat me on the shoulder and say, it's okay, it happens. So, um, and, and I think this applies for, for leaders of any size company. Um, people are always looking to the leader to, to have all the answers and a lot of leaders don't even want to ask questions. So, you know, I mean, and so it's tough, right. And, um, I don't know, you know, some of your, some of your listeners may be early stage and startup founders. And just because you don't have a big budget doesn't mean you couldn't trade some options for a mentor, somebody to just meet with you 30 minutes or an hour every week or every other week, just to kind of keep you on track. And then as you um, grow into a, a bigger, more developed company, then there's, you know, all kinds of coaches out there and, and accountability partners and growth um, you know, growth strategies. And, and I just found for me, having that one person every two weeks that I could just, you know, just unload on <laughs> um, was super helpful. And it's something I really miss. I mean, I, I kind of, I, I sort of wish I could go back to that right now because I, I had a really great relationship with, with the guy that I was using and, you know, he was funny. It was a good temperament for me, but he really kept me on track and, and 
I, I wasn't second guessing my decisions. I wasn't spending my time and energy wondering if this is the next thing I should do. It's a decisive, yes, that's the next thing you should do. That's awesome. You just totally sold the concept of coaching and accountability. So Danielle, thank you very much. I I genuinely believe it. I mean, I just, I couldn't have done it without, um, you know, without that kind of help. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, I'm just super curious. I mean, not to dive too much into that as the tip, because I think that is like a fantastic tip and you highlighted all the reasons why. Um, have you found that there is a significant difference between an accountability partner and a mentor and what have they, has there been a difference for you? Well, I think that when you, a a mentor is someone, I would say you're meeting informally, you can have their email, you have their text, you can check in with them and say, Hey, um, you know, what about this? Or could you introduce me? And mentors to me are super useful. And, and I, again, I've been really, really lucky. I've, I've had a lot of great mentors along the way. Um, I think when you decide to call it an accountability partner, you're making a formal relationship with someone, no matter how you're paying them, but you're both agreeing that this is a little more than a casual conversation once a month. This is a, you know, this is something we're both putting on our calendars and, you know, life comes up, but let's really try and, and get into the cadence of, of, uh, you know, meeting with each other. Fantastic. Outstanding tip. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, um, in your, um, experience and over the last few decades of all of the, you know, the things that you've been doing, when did you realize that focusing too much on, uh, big ideas can cause major problems? Um, so probably I would say within the last 10 years or so, um, I had two different experiences that are, one of them is just mind boggling. Um, I was working for a company and I was part of the tech team and this guy had this really great IP and it was for first responders. And we built this beautiful, elegant solution. And, you know, the, the guy was very committed to just his idea being the thing. And, um, even though his idea was the heart of the tech that we built, we started, we built a little more around it that made it extremely useful and quite valuable. Um, and this, this man who he had, he, you know, he owned all the, the IP and he was the founder and he kind of lost his brains. I mean, he, we, he, he went, uh, he stopped responding to the team he, I mean, he had like a real, you know, a full team of people working on this stop responding to the team. The, I, I remember sitting at a board meeting and, and I've never seen a group of professionals behave so badly and no one knew what to do. He went into hiding. They had to send him like certified letters to the basement of his house because he wouldn't come out because he was so upset by the fact that this product had sort of evolved into something slightly different, but honestly, really great. And Mm -hmm. and that's an extreme example. I mean, that hopefully, you know, nobody can, that that one doesn't resonate with a lot of people, but especially the guy in the basement, but um, it's, I mean, that was my first thought, like, oh, things could go really wrong. Um, And then a few years ago, I was working with another company that, you know, we were considering uh, doing merging with, and they had 
several million dollars in funding and they had a big team and, and they were turning along and they had users, they had organic growth. They were probably in the phase where they were paying a little too much to acquire new customers, but the customers were coming back. Um, and again, they were, this, this founder was so committed to her idea that, she, that they, they couldn't as a team just, you know, branch out and explore some slightly different tangential product ideas or industries that could have made this product really pretty great. And it just wasn't, you know, the vision of the original idea and the whole company ended up just dissolving all those millions of dollars gone. And as you just look at it and you think what, with just a little bit of, you know, work, I'm not talking about dumping the whole thing. I'm talking about just, you know, rejiggering things a little bit and, and, and testing some different um, industries or, you know, tangential uh, enhancements, product offerings, that kind of thing. It just, <laughs> it's, it just makes me shake my head. I'm, you just think it's, they were so close and um, I really appreciate you sharing both of those examples and I can actually kind of almost like resonate with people that I know that are in, you know, like they could head in that path, you know, <laughs> certainly. And, and that would be very sad, um, yeah. to have that happen. Hindsight's 2020. So passion is something you want to harness, right? For sure. Um, it is what creates great napkin mm-hmm. ideas. Yes. Um, so in like a typical startup, how do you move from like the passion of the idea to the actual, like leading it to creating money and some of the things that, you know, are, um, either hurdles or things like you got to decide, like, what is the North star when you're trying to get it to birth? Right. (laughs) Um, well, so a lot of that is for, and I agree. Okay. The, you, as a startup founder, you need to have a lot of passion because passion is what's going to bring everyone else along on the ride. And you do have to advocate for what you're thinking and your idea. Um, what I, I think where things maybe go a little bit astray is um, first of all, the, the founder themselves has to be coachable. So, and you can tell that right away. I'm sure you can tell when you're talking to someone, this person is open-minded and willing to adapt or they're not. Um, so you can't teach someone a, a mindset of adaptability. You, it's, you know, the go ahead, maybe you'll be lucky and that's, you're maybe not right for me. <laughs> um, but so, so this, so the, so you start by, you know, kind of testing your idea around, and I'm not talking about testing your idea to your friends and family, because they're likely to say, oh, great idea. Um, But, you know, a few key people that you know are kind of plugged into the industry. So um, an investor or someone in VC, someone like me, who I don't, I've I've talked to several different people just about their initial ideas. And if it's something that's in my wheelhouse, I can say, you know, I've done this research. I see what's out there. I know what's going on. You know, this idea with this caveat, good idea, this idea, eh, probably not the best thing you can do. Um, So, you know, a lot of finding the 
taking that paper napkin and, and finding a place to start is evaluating what's in the market, what tools are available, how much of this can I do manually or semi-manually without um, needing to, you know, how far can we get on a very little budget without spending gajillions of dollars creating an AI machine that maybe nobody wants? That's extreme example, but, mm-hmm. you know, so like you, you have to look at these different pieces and say, okay, great idea. Here's where we start and we can get meaningful feedback on this first place that we're starting. And if, if it's, you know, there's certain industries, certain products that just need the very capital intensive there's no way around that, but there are a lot of products that could start small and, and, you know, wiggle to the right place. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking, uh, based on my experience, there's the, um, the original idea that comes from the founder and then the team that implements it. So you're talking about the team, they had a big team around the table. So there's marketing and sales and the actual like mm-hmm. development or engineering portion of things. Um, at, at what point do, how do you bridge that gap? I guess, um, cause they are coming at it from different perspectives and really maximizing and leveraging the talent that you have around you to create and get to that next level tips. So uh, interestingly, um, a lot of companies now more established companies are hiring chief product officer. And that's a, that's a, you know, it's a, it's a grand title but it does actually describe something really important and something that you don't necessarily need a full-time person for. You could do this with contract services, but that's the person who is able to bridge the gap between what, what's, you know, first budget, second business case, third, what is possible? Mm-hmm. What are the customers saying? You, you know, any of these, um, each part is really important, but any siloed part, can't make a decision for the whole. And sometimes the founder doesn't have that experience. They might not, they might be a great leader or they might be a great business person, but maybe not a great technical person. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, so this, so having this sort of umbrella of, of product officer or whatever you want to call it, that, that is listening and observing what's happening in each of these business units and the business unit might be, you know, one person per unit. <laughs> um, but each of them, each part has going to have a different kind of feedback that each person's going to have a different perspective and they're going to try something. And then that's going to yield some sort of feedback. And until you consider all the parts together, it's very difficult to make a decision on, on one piece and, and all of the parts are important. And at the end of the day, the idea has to be last, right? It's it's got to be what what's the consumer responding to? What marketing are they responding to? What product features are they using? What are they telling you? You know, what is their what do you observe them doing? So it's 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 a it's it's in really you know it's like a cool. I love it, obviously, and I'm like really excited about that kind of space. But it's it's an important function and, and more companies are starting to roll out this role of product officer, mm-hmm. understanding that you, you kind of need someone bridging that gap between all of the different parts because each part's important, but together the whole is is going to be greater than some of the parts. Yeah, I think um, I think you're highlighting a really critical um, component that I think would be a solution for many listeners that we have. 
um, through the podcast that if you don't have someone who really is actually advocating to understand um, all the talent that you have at the table and their perspective, a lot of things can end up being like, we can't do that. We can't do that. We can't do that. Having one party say that it is, you know, whether and not unify the communication to figure out how, well, how can we do it? If we can't do that, what can we do um, to move forward as opposed to just stalemating, which I think is what I most common hear happening is a stalemate. Right. And it's, it's that it's them against it's engineering against marketing, engineering against sales. It's like the classic battle. Right. And it's, but, but you know, marketing against it or like, all. yeah, exactly. It's, it's everyone. Well, everyone's against IT, but no, I'm just kidding. Not um, yeah, no, I'm just, I'm totally kidding. Um, but it's, it's, yeah. I mean, I get, it just, it's like, you know, no one's against anybody. We're all on the same team, but yeah. we all need to be sensitive towards each other. And, you know, sometimes you're in the middle of something, you could be the most sensitive person in the world, but you might be like down in the weeds and it's hard to pop your head up and, take, you know, appreciate someone else's sort of viewpoint. Yeah. Yeah. Great tip. Um, what would you say are the, um, informal rules of communication, um, when you're working in a tech startup, um, that differ from maybe other industries? Um, well, I think with the tech world, you have this other element of engineering, right? So Mm -hmm. you, you have, um, the engineers themselves are, uh, and I'm an engineer, so this is this is my own observation. Is that you know we're given a problem, we want to solve the problem, and we want an elegant solution, and and we, you know, in general could maybe go a little bit heads down and just say you know let's churn through this, and sometimes you you need somebody that could recognize that maybe the the solution's not the best solution or it's, it's awkward or it's clunky. And in, instead of just um, pursuing the mission and doing what the boss said to do, someone needs to just maybe have a little more of a, a forum where you could speak up and say, you know, you know, this is complicated, this is expensive. We could do this semi-manually and see if it works or, or there's something on the market that we could plug in here. Um, so I, I think just in the tech world, having that little bit of, uh, extra sensitivity or, or forum for saying, you know, maybe this solution isn't the best is, uh, very advantageous for, for tech companies. Mm. And recognize that and being, and being, um, comfortable of actually like leaning forward and saying, you know, I'm not so sure this is the right path for us. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, some engineers will not feel comfortable doing that and some will, and some just can just grind out amazing code, but not necessarily stop to think about whether it's the right thing. And, and both of those people, I mean, like that person is, I, I love having that person on my team, but every once in a while, it doesn't, doesn't really hurt to have a check-in to make sure that all the pieces are really going to hang together in the end. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm super curious. I'm, um, I'm often, um, focused on strategy. So from a standpoint of, um, a viable product, so I'm going to go beyond, like it's beyond, um, the minimal viable product. Like you're having successes, like people are loving it. People are using it. It's, it's dynamic and it's unique. 
what are the best strategies to amplify that in to really actually get, you know, your investment of the design and the engineering to get users or, or, or subscribers or whatever it is, buyers of it? What are your favorite strategies? Um, I mean, a lot of it is, and again, this is sort of related to your budget and, and how much manpower you have, but I think a lot can be learned just by seeing how people are using your product. So, I mean, either visually observing them using your product or in a lot of products in, in a not creepy way, um, you can you can get user stats. Like you can pull a certain amount of stats out of most products that are, you know, they're not um, sensitive in any way, but it just shows how people are using, how often people are using, how often are people coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that using, getting that, those two elements and weaving that into what you're gonna do next is super important. And it doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be this really expensive process. Um, I was working with another team and we had, uh, released a product, had some nice organic growth, thousand users. Um, and you know, we could find out who are our power users and how often were people using it and were people abandoning, um, were they, you know, so based, and then, and then we, we ran, we tried to run a, and so we, we were at this point where it's like, okay, we're ready to accelerate. Um, and we were buying some Facebook ads. They seemed to be working, but we weren't getting the engagement that we really wanted. So, um, you know, the, our step was let's sort of, let's dig into what engagement, because it doesn't matter if we have 10,000 users, if they're only using it one time, we need our thousand users or hundred users or 15 power users, we need to figure out what they like and, and what is, why are the next people not coming back? Um, so we had, so, you know, from there you, you observe what's going on in the product, what could be better, what do people want? How, are people using it for something other than you expected them to use it? And then, um, and then, you know, make some decisions from there. So in the one case, in the case that I was just talking about, we decided to um, uh, try and do some surveys and, and some stuff like that. And we, we couldn't get the engagement. And yeah. that's where it's like, okay, well, there's something wrong here. Like mm-hmm. if, if you can't get people to be like, if you can't pay people to take a, you know, like give you usability stats on your, or like feedback, usability feedback on your product, there's something wrong there. I mean, like, yeah. It doesn't mean that the product's trash. It just mm-hmm. means you've got to go back to the drawing board and think about what's going on and figure out how to just tweak it a little bit. So then suddenly everybody's using it. Right. Um, but I, I just, you know, that's the first thing that I recommend is look at people, how are people using it and how frequently and how engaged. So truly applying like the just old fashioned, you know, it goes to product, technology, anything. Like if you have a consumer and they're using it, like figure out how they're using it and how they want to use it and, and like adjust from there. So yeah, that makes a yeah. ton of sense. Ton of yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, Danielle, I'm super curious. What would be uh, your one piece of advice that you'd give to anyone thinking about uh, doing a founder startup type of role? 
company. <laughs> don't. Yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. No, it's, I mean, it's extremely rewarding, but I will say you have to have extremely thick skin. You have to have, you have to know you're it's very likely you're going to fail and you will 100% make mistakes and mistakes are okay. Failure's okay. Um, you, you, the, your, your best outcome is going to be if you have a good network of people that can help you. Um, and I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about people with business sense that will, you know, throw a few hours in here or there, or, um, make some introductions or have some ideas. If you get stuck, um, my, my, my mentor network is extremely strong. Um, I've been given a ton of free cycles by a bunch of people. And I, I really try and give back as many free cycles as I can to people. Um, but I would say, I mean, your network, your emotional network and your professional network are going to be huge. And, yeah. and don't, don't just create a startup because you want to be an entrepreneur, like really put some time and thought into what it is that you're building. And because you're going to be stuck with that thing for quite some time. Yeah. Ex- excellent advice. I, I would say um, I concur wholeheartedly of having a str- you know strong base to rely on and bounce off of and um, tap into for energy, just energy and affirmation or direction is huge. Yep. Yep. Um, on your cork guru, um, would you share like, what would have been, you consider to be one of your your biggest lessons learned, um, not calling it a failure, but it's just an, a huge opportunity for growth so that, you know, maybe we can learn from that. Uh, hands down. I, I love to build, I build a product before I create a business case because uh, I love to build. I'm an engineer. So mm-hmm. I, I saw this need, I would, I, you know, a need and I could get the product built and I did it. And it was the most backwards way you could ever go about building business. <laughs> so then after a while, it's like, well, this is, this is a pretty expensive hobby. I should probably maybe, you know, hire someone and build a business case and see if there's something here. So we, I did. And then I raised money and, you know, turns out the business case was good. Um, but yeah, I did it completely backwards. And, and I still, even to this day, want to build before defending the build. But I've, I don't do that anymore, but I still, I, I, I guess I, I could say I empathize with people who want to just keep building. Mm-hmm. Um, can you high level talk about refra- refraining from actually like building all the way, what must be in a business case to have it be a viable, justifiable investment to build? Um, so, I mean, the way I evaluate that is, and it's, I, I will only help somebody if it's in my wheelhouse in, in industries I understand. So um, you have to understand what's happening in the industry to begin with. You have to understand what trends are out there. And then you need to, um, if you can talk to a lot of people and people are like, oh, that's exactly what I need. And they're just genuinely responding, then it's probably a good idea. 
if people are you know glossing over and being like oh yeah you know good good way way to go probably not a great idea um and and you know you know those products right i i know um i met the founder it was no way it was sold to yelp and it was the it's a a wait list, right? A text-based wait list application. Um, so you can go to a restaurant and get in line and then they text you when your when you're, um, table's ready. And when I heard that, I was like, I am the person that this has been built for because I'm always going to the hostess stand going, oh, come on, can't you just text me when the table's ready? I want to stand in here. I have three kids. It's so crowded. It's gross. Um, but, you know, like, that was a great idea. And I was the demographic for it. And, you know, it, it took off, but, you know, if you have a lot of people saying, yeah, that's a great idea. And I have that problem, then you're going to be able to raise money and you're going to be able to get customers. But, you know, some of it's just feel and experience in the industry and understanding, talking to people who are involved in that part of the industry. And part of it has to be something you're very passionate about and and, and part of it is identifying somehow through whatever you do, a need or a perceived need. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned um, once or twice about, you know, going and raising funds for it. Do you think, um, do you think that is mostly the case that you need to be able to get outside funders to kind of take it there if it's a big idea? I, I think most ideas, no. Most ideas, you don't need that much money. Um, I, I think there are a few things that are you, you can't do with a lot of cash flow, but I think there's almost nothing that you can't do with a very small amount of money. I love the fact that you've said that. I think sometimes we think in order to get our, our ideas out there that we have to somehow go and raise funds and give up equity and, you know, the things that go along with it. And you're saying no. So thank no, you. Thank no. you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> Good. That makes me happy. Yeah. Um, Danielle, thank you so much for sharing so generously, um, your insights from startup to launching businesses. Um, I just want to make sure that our listeners know how to best, um, connect with you, uh, or contact you. Sure. So, um, my website, daniellegillespie.net, um, is, has, you know, contact me forms. It talks a little bit about this ideas last framework, how I, I, um, you know, discovered it or, or started using it as my methodology. Um, there's links to articles that, that sort of give a high level explanation of what it is. Uh, but I mean, really just reaching me um, through the, that website is great or LinkedIn. I'm very responsive to LinkedIn as well. So either way. Okay. Fantastic. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us today. Listeners, if you have found today's episode uh, valuable, I encourage you to go over to um, our um, our podcast, leave us a five-star review and give Danielle and I some feedback. And um, if you do that, we have a special offer for you in the notes, show notes. Thank you all. Have a great day. Thank you.